today. We are continuing our message series through the uh, Gospel of John, and uh, we are in chapter 7 today, John chapter 7, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, and we're calling, uh, this is our 16th week in the message uh, series in John, we're calling this Timing is Everything, Timing is Everything. It was in 2012 when David Zetner and his wife were returning to their Florida home from a trip to North Carolina. Uh, David was a, a private pilot and he was flying their Cessna 182 when he made a low pass over his home, as he always liked to do when he was returning home. Uh, right near the approach to the airport is where they lived. And so when he swung down to go over his house, he noticed a, a strange truck in his driveway. And he kind of circled back around and he and his wife in the plane could see two guys walking around their house, looking in the windows, trying the doors. And they swung back around again, and they came up, and the next thing they saw was that truck hooking up to their RV trailer. And they swung around again as that truck pulled off with their RV trailer and drove on down the road. And so David had his wife call the police. And sure enough, the police responded while David followed that truck and trailer for about 40 miles until the police showed up and apprehended the thieves after a traffic stop. Timing is everything, isn't it? Timing is everything. Beat the clock, around the clock, against the clock, clock in, carry the day. Once in a blue moon. How about that one? From now on, in the long run, come of age, full of the joys of spring, now or never, the moment of truth, better late than never, make my day. I like that one. Here today, gone tomorrow, a blink of the eye, days are numbered. What do all those statements have in common? Time. Time. We, we say things like, hey, long time, no see. We're killing time. We're wasting time. We're behind the times, on time, just in time. As time goes by, in the nick of time, do time, serve time, a whale of a time, save time. Have a good time ahead of time. No time to lose. The big time, it's high time. Time is money. Time flies, crunch time, out of time, time for a change, time's up, time's up. As I was looking for statements about time, I stopped counting around 100 and they, there would have been more. I know you didn't want to hear me just stand up here and recite those all morning long. All of these statements have something in common. They refer to chronological or sequential time. That's how we measure time, right? In minutes, in seconds, in days, in years, we measure chronological and sequential time. Well, in today's text from the Gospel of John, John uh, teaches us, if you will, a, a new time expression. And the word is kairos, kairos time. The word kairos in Greek uh, is the Greek word for opportunity, or we might say the right time, or in the fullness of time, or in the supreme moment. And in the Bible, kairos refers to God's timing. God's timing. In his very first public sermon that's recorded in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, the time has come. The kairos has arrived. 
The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This was a kairos moment for those who heard Jesus and for the Christ follower, us, as for Jesus. Chronological time and kairos time intersect. And every moment of every day, because in essence, we live in two worlds, don't we? We live in this time, in this day and age, and we are citizens of eternity. We are focused and bound for heaven, but we live here on earth. And during uh, doing life God's way, in God's timing, it makes all the difference in the world. There is joy, there is refreshment in living according to God's schedule rather than the schedule of this world. So I want to invite you to read with me the text today, John 7, 1 through 13. This is a fairly lengthy passage, but I'd like to read it together so that we can discover the best way to live in God's timing. And so the words will be on the screen and I invite you to read with me starting in verse one of John chapter seven. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Well, some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So in this passage, we see all kinds of phrases and words about timing and about going up and going around. It's all about timing. And then Jesus speaks about his own time. And, you know, timing, timing can be both a blessing and a curse, in certain parts of our lives, in certain periods of our lives, can't it? We, uh, I suppose we've all been in the right place at the right time. You ever been in a situation like that? Oh, right place, right time. Something good really happens. How about being in the wrong place at the wrong time? Uh-oh, then we're in a jam. Not to mention being in the right place at the wrong time or being in the wrong place at the right time. And so, as we explore how to live in God's timing, we discover that what seems best may not always be best. Does that make sense? What seems best may not always be best. And so we might call this, first of all, a convenient time. That's the, the first point on your outline there. 
a convenient time. Jesus, in the text we see, has been spending time in his home region of Galilee. He's been kind of staying in the backwaters of Israel and in the wilderness and in the rural areas where there is great interest in his work and in his teaching. But even in Galilee, his support is beginning to fade away. We saw last week, after the great miracle of the feeding of the crowd of 5,000 plus, that the people began to grumble and complain and turn away from Jesus because his teaching didn't fit their expectations or desires. We could say it wasn't convenient. The last time that Jesus had been in Judea, the religious leaders decided they wanted to kill him because he healed a man along the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. How dare he? That was the wrong time. And so Jesus had been staying out of sight, purposely avoiding Judea and the big city of Jerusalem. But now... The Festival of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Booths, was coming up. Now, this was a a great festive time. All of Jewish men who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem were expected to travel to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And then pilgrims from across the, the empire, wherever Jews might live, would go as well if they could possibly. This feast time was one of the most important gatherings of the Jewish people. Now, the most important one was the Passover, but this was a close second and really more popular than the feast of the Passover. The festival was a time when the Israelites would remember how their ancestors had traveled in the wilderness and how the Lord had provided for them. And you remember that they lived in tents, right? In tabernacles, in booths. And so all of the pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem. The city would swell from hundreds of thousands to well over a million plus people during this period of time. And the people would literally build booths. They would build tents, temporary shelters along the walls of the city or in the surrounding countryside just outside the city. And so it was kind of like a a national camp out. And it was also then combined with a harvest festival. The gathering would last eight days There would be feasting and sharing memories, seeing old friends, seeing distant relatives you hadn't seen in a while. And so it was a time of of catching up, a time of remembering, a time of celebrating, a wonderful time. And so Jesus' brothers, he had four brothers, by the way, and his brothers are planning on making the, the 40 or so mile walking journey to attend the festival in Jerusalem. And they want Jesus to go with him. They were tired of Jesus walking around in the farming communities and the wilderness areas. And so basically they said to Jesus, hey, if you're really somebody, big brother, if you're really going to start a movement, you got to go to the city. That's where it's happening. That's where the action is. That's where the crowds are. That's where you can really get a big following. That's where you can really start a movement. So to Jesus' brothers, the timing is right. It's what? Convenient. A convenient time, Jesus, for you to go and to really get things rolling. The crowds will be thick. The mood will be festive. And Jesus, you can step out of the shadows and put on a great show for the masses. 
After all, Jesus, timing is everything, right? Timing is everything. How convenient for you to show yourself to the world in Jerusalem. But then right in the middle of telling this story, our author, our eyewitness John, tells us that not even his own brothers believed in Jesus. They didn't believe in him. So what's this about? Why do they want him to go up there when they don't even believe in him? They want Jesus to come with them to show off his amazing miracle-working ability, his great oratory skills. But don't we have to just wonder a bit about their motives? I do. Like the crowds that we saw a couple of weeks ago who just wanted more free lunch. Jesus' own family wants a piece of the action without the obligation that comes from belief and faith and trust in the Messiah. You see, they're all about the convenience, but they aren't interested in making any personal change in their life. One of the things that we might call this kind of faith is vending machine faith. Ever go to a vending machine? Put your dollar in, or now you can uh, stick your card in, or even tap your card, and then you put in, you know, F7, I want a Snickers bar. And boom, and out it pops. How awesome is that? You can have whatever you want, whenever you want. It's vending machine faith. Jesus, give me what I want on my terms when I want it. That's what his brothers were interested in. Friends, as we seek to find God's plan, his will, his timing for our life, we must guard against this kind of attitude. You know, our American culture is built on, what, convenience, right? We've got fast food and fast cars and fast times. And we love all of that. And sometimes the fast attitude worms its way into our relationship with the Lord. And instead of following the path of Jesus, the path of submission, the path of sacrifice, the path of servanthood, we look for the path of convenience. Jesus, what have you done for me lately? Jesus, I know what you said, but I think it would be better this way. Brothers and sisters, we must not settle for the convenient time. Well, you know, sometimes in our quest for speed and convenience then, we are in the wrong time. And that's the next point here on your outline. The wrong time. As his non-believing brothers say, hey, Jesus, why don't you go up to the festival and start a movement? I want you to notice how Jesus answers here. He says to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. What does that mean? What does Jesus mean there? Well, let's kind of consider this from two different angles. First, I think what Jesus is talking about is if we are walking with the Lord, there is a time for everything. And Jesus recognizes that. He says to his brothers, my time has not yet come. You see, Jesus was sensitive to the prompting and the leading of his heavenly father. Jesus prayed all the time and he was connected to his father's leading, to his father's will. 
his, his leading motivator, his strongest desire, his top priority, his mission statement, if you will, his life's work was to do what God wanted in the way that God wanted, in the place that God wanted it at the time that God desired it. My time has not yet come. Jesus surely was not interested in convenient timing. And he fully understood that doing things apart from the Father's will, apart from the Father's way, was the wrong timing. It didn't matter to Jesus when the festival started. It didn't matter to him if he was going to miss a few days. What did matter was being in the center of the Father's will. You see, friends, when we seek the Lord's timing, it makes all the difference in the world. We can settle. Settle for short-term payoffs. Settle for convenience. Settle for immediate gratification on our timeline. We can do that. We're free to choose that route. Or, or we can wait to experience the joy and the refreshment that are promised when we choose to live according to his schedule. Doing things God's way in God's timing makes all the difference in the world. Well, Jesus also, I think, though, had a second meaning here in his answer to his brothers when he said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. And I think it's this. If we aren't walking with the Lord, then guess what? We can do what we want, when we want it, without his blessing. We can do whatever we want. Isn't that kind of the credo of American culture? Do what you want. Do whatever you want. What feels good? If it works for you, that's cool. This works for me. And we're just kind of laid back about this whole thing of, hey, everything is fine. Jesus said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. When we aren't walking with the Lord, then, in essence, we are unbelievers, like his brothers. They didn't believe in him. And so Jesus says to them, Guys, you have the same values, the same morals as the world. You dress like them, you act like them, you talk like them. You see, friends, if we're not seeking the Lord's direction, if we're not seeking his timing, we can do what we want, when we want, and it doesn't matter because he's not leading us. But friends, if we make this our decision about timing, this, this pattern, then guess what? We're going to get the results that the world gets. And guess what? It will be the wrong timing every time. I want you to just notice Jesus' final statement to his brothers here in verse 8. A, a second time he says, my time has not yet fully come. So this time he adds a little word in there, right? Doesn't just say, my time has not yet come. He says, my time has not yet fully come. In other words, there's something developing here, something brewing. His brothers don't recognize it because they're not clued in to God's timing. They don't care about that. They're not sensitive to God's leading and God's purpose and God's will, but Jesus is. And so he says, my time has not yet fully come. You guys can choose to go at the wrong time. Go for it. 
I'm going to wait for the better time. God's time. So, if there is a wrong time, guess what? That means there must be a right time. Isn't that right? And the right time is God's perfect time. God's perfect time. Jesus' brothers take his words at face value. They see things from an earthly perspective, and they assume, okay, Jesus, you're just going to avoid the feast, fine for you. And so off to the party they go. Now, I don't believe that Jesus intended any deception here. But he does follow a few days behind. After he says he's not going, he goes a few days behind. And he attends that feast. But he attends it on his own, keeping his identity as quiet as possible. We'd say that he was flying under the radar, right? Because the more that the the leaders see him, the more trouble they're going to cause for Jesus and for his followers. And Jesus is on a very careful, what, timeline. God's perfect timeline. And he doesn't have time for anybody else to mess up God's perfect timeline. He knows what's going on here. So it was necessary for Jesus to teach and to work unobtrusively, if you will. You see, friends, God's perfect time will almost always look different than the world's time. God's timing is very different, and that's because it's just radically, totally upside down from the world's timing. His timing always has the long view in mind. Understand that? God has the long picture in mind. He's in the the long game, we'd say. He's got the long view in mind. He never settles for what's second best. He's never interested in a quick fix or good enough. That's not God's perfect timing. God's perfect time fits with his perfect will and his perfect plan. And sometimes, sometimes, friends, God's timing just doesn't make sense to us. You ever feel that? I do. I don't understand this, God. It seems to me it'd be better this way, but God's timing doesn't fit my plan. And it doesn't always make sense to us because, you know what? Let's just face it. Our focus is most often on the here and now, right? The immediate present. Because that's where we're at, right? We're in relationships. We're going to work. We're working on the house. We've got things going on. It's the immediate present. And we're consumed with those things And if we're not careful, we can become so consumed that we miss God's timing and God's plan for us. So don't get stuck in the immediate present because God has a preferred future that he wants for all who know him. And so if you are a child of God, I want you to understand that God has a preferred future for you. That word future is a time word, isn't it? It's that kairos time. God's time is different. We're looking at our watch and we're saying, God, come on, I've only got months or years or days. Come on, God, I'm on a timeline. And God says, Rob, your timeline means nothing to me. It means nothing because God works on kairos time. And it's his timeline. And guess what? It exists outside of our sphere of time. 
I mean, again, we measure it all, don't we? They can measure time down to the, the nanosecond now. I don't even know what that means, a nanosecond. It's not very long, though, I'll tell you that. But we can measure it. Seconds, hours, days, months, years, on it goes. None of that matters to God. His time is different than ours. And so John tells us that the people in Jerusalem were struggling to understand this whole timing thing as well. Just like we do. They were struggling. And so the city, even though Jesus hasn't been there in quite some time, the city is awash in discussion and disagreement about Jesus, about him. Even though he's been down in Galilee, hiding out down there and acting down there and working down there, word has spread. And it's, he's the talk of the town at the big feast, at the big festival. What are they talking about? Jesus. And what are they saying? What did they think of him? Some considered the, the help and the blessing that his work and his words had brought to so many. And, and they conclude what? He's a good man. Oh, he's a good guy. Some concluded that. Others, they maintain that his words and his works were, were play a smokescreen to cover his real intentions. I don't trust that guy. He's an imposter. He's misleading the people. And so as the people act in their own understanding, in a way that seems right to them, what happens? They completely miss God's perfect timing. And guess what? They miss the Messiah. The very one sent to save them. And instead, they live on in debate, in muttering, in fear, arguing with one another about stuff that really doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. And friends, that's us. That's us today as well. We can get sucked into the social media debates sucked into the news cycle, sucked into whatever it is. And pretty soon, we are missing God's perfect timing because we're swirling about in the muck here, arguing about what is or what isn't when the real truth is right in front of us and we don't even see it. July 2nd, 1863. It was a hot humid day, and a school teacher from Maine was in the fight of his life. His name was Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. He was formerly an instructor of rhetoric at Bowden College, but presently he was a 34-year-old colonel in the Union Army. The place? Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. The Southerners had attacked up the hill five times already. Each time, the Union troops were able to repel them, but now half of the Union troops are dead. The majority of those remaining are injured. During the last attack, some of the Union troops under his command were forced to literally fight with their bare hands against their attackers. He didn't know how they had pushed the rebels back down the hill that last time. And so as they are quickly surveying the situation, it becomes apparent that there are less than two bullets per man remaining. For all intents and purposes, the 20th Maine was out of ammunition. 
glancing downhill, seeing the attackers readying themselves for a final assault, looking at what seemed to be certain death, Chamberlain's own officers counseled retreat. They outnumber us, the men cried, and we have nothing with which to fight. It's hopeless, it's hopeless, they told Colonel Chamberlain. Joshua Chamberlain stood there quietly for a moment. Here they come, a sergeant yelled out. Chamberlain didn't respond. He was calculating the cost of remaining, staying where he was. The cost, he determined, was essentially the same as running away. Joshua, his his sergeant screamed, Joshua, give an order. And so he did. Chamberlain knew that he had not been put on this earth to fail. But failure is the only possible result of a life that accepts the status quo. We move forward or we die. Fix bayonets, he barked. And his men looked at him like he was crazy. Sir, the sergeant asked. And and for a moment, they all just kind of stood there frozen, paralyzed. They're coming, came a yell from down the line. Fix bayonets, I said, and charge. As the men quickly scrambled to fasten their steels, Chamberlain drew his sword and he charged down the hill with his men following. That single decision helped save the Union Army at the Battle of Gettysburg and save the war. It turned the tide. One man charging in the face of what appeared to be impossible odds. Friends, timing really is everything. The right thing done at the right time will usually result in success. Now, I don't want to give you a false picture here. I want to romanticize it because that success may not always be immediate. But let us remember that God has a long view in mind. And so our success may not come in the heat of the battle. Sometimes the right thing done at the right time, though, may even create a breakthrough to a greater opportunity. You see, we're, we're talking about how to navigate God's timeline. And if we are faithful, and if we trust him, then God's timeline is always better than our timeline. You know, when it comes to the importance of timing, I think of the, the guy who plays the big brass cymbals in the orchestra. You ever see that guy? He didn't get to play very much, right? Just once in a while, there it is. And then he's just got to stand there while everybody else goes on their merry way. But if he doesn't focus on his timing, it doesn't go well for him, does it? It doesn't go well for the performance, and it doesn't go well for the rest of the orchestra. Imagine if you're that guy, and you do your thing at the wrong time. Imagine after the concert, what are people going to say to you? What's the matter with you? Timing is important. Knowing the right time. And friends, as followers of Jesus, we must not only know the answer to the what 
and the why of our actions, and those are important questions to ask. What am I doing and why? Those are very important. But we also must know the when. The when to take action. When to strike the symbol. When to pull your sword out and charge down the hill. And so friends, today, I want to encourage you to ask God. Ask God to grant you wisdom and discernment in the area of timing. There is no magic formula to follow. The key to having good timing is found simply through patience and understanding God's plan and purpose. And then we combine that with the courage to act. Friends, may we be both aware and bold. Aware of God's timing and bold enough to step into it, even when it might be just a bit uncomfortable. Now, now is always the best time to pray for wisdom. Does that make sense? When's the best time to pray for wisdom? Now, right now. Now is always the best time to seek understanding about how to make the right decision at the right time. His timing is always the best timing, the perfect timing. And as a Christ follower, we must depend on the Holy Spirit to guide us in our decision making. Evaluate the situation. Listen carefully to God's word. Seek wise advice from godly counselors. Pray. And then, trust in the Lord for good timing. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the power of your word. And we thank you for the power of our Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that he has given us such a, a, an amazing path to follow, an example in which to set our lives on. Father, may we have the courage, the boldness, the awareness, the strength to take the next right step as we seek your will, your purpose, and your timing. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may God bless you as you seek to navigate his timing throughout your week this week. As we do each week, I like to let you know that some of our elders are here to pray with you. And if, if now is always the best time to pray, then today is the best time to pray. And so in a few moments, as we stand to sing this closing song, uh, I see Ed and Shirley Davidson back there. They would love to pray with you. They would be honored to pray with you and for you. Maybe you're struggling with figuring out God's timing. Maybe you just need some comfort, some guidance in your life or in the life of someone else that you love and care about. They're there to pray for you. They'll step out in the hall with you, the hallway. They'll have a, a quiet prayer with you. If they're busy praying with somebody else, just wait and they'll get to you in just a few moments. But I hope that you'll take advantage of this opportunity to have someone else Pray on your behalf as you seek God's perfect timing. Let's stand together as Kathy leads us in this.